the Value Coffee Talk podcast. Hi, I'm April Morley, co-founder of Genius Drive and the Enterprise Value Collective. And I'm Tom Pasello, the ROI guy. This podcast is a service of the Enterprise Value Collective, a community for business value-focused leaders and practitioners, and is sponsored by our value consultancy, Genius Drive. And our mission is to help accelerate and optimize the value articulation in each of your customer engagements and throughout your customer lifecycle. And to help us do that today, we've got Michael Ketchmere. He is the head of business value consulting and ISV partnerships at sales performance management firm, Exactly. He is a veteran pre-sales and consulting services leader. And we're here to talk to Michael about a top issue for 2024, and that is value realization. In fact, when we did our last Enterprise Value Collective meetup, and we asked the group, you know, what are you challenged most with? What are you needing to address the most in um, 2024? And the answer was value realization. That was the number one challenge that everyone was looking to address. Michael, why is this so important in this coming year? Yeah, I mean, I think it's the confluence of a, a few different factors. Uh, you know, first of all, um, you think about, well, I'll just get to the cut to the, the chase here. It comes down to retention and renewals, right? So as you know, we live in a subscription-based economy today. Uh, I'd say that if you talk to any sales rep, they'd probably tell you that selling is as difficult as it's ever been, at least in many of their careers, right? And so a lot mm -hmm. of sellers are... Uh, focusing more on selling to the install base than, you know, net new, uh, you know, customer acquisition, right? And so when, uh, if you think about, I guess there are, you know, big factor here would be the change from growth at all costs to profitable growth. And I think when you put those two or three factors together, what ends up happening is for any business, uh, you know, application owners, business process owners uh, who are leveraging subscription-based solutions, you know, the call comes at time for renewal, you know, it's not just, hey, how do you how do you like that app? Should we still renew how many people are using it? But, you know, what type of business impact is that investment making for our company, right? And if you can't answer that question in a way that resonates with the CFO or finance, uh, you may be at jeopardy of losing that type of solution. And so that's where we know value realization is absolutely part and parcel to getting to that finish line and having that effective conversation. It sounds like you've made quite an investment in building up value realization capabilities at Exactly. How has that been going and what challenges have you run into along the way? Yeah, uh, yeah great question there. Yeah, I've been here at Exactly in this role for about four years now. And I'd say uh, you know, two or three things come to mind. Uh, you know, First and foremost, for folks that haven't been doing value realization, there's definitely a change management aspect of things, right? So We've got a pretty strong culture here. We've had some leaders and some departments who have been doing their thing for 15 plus years. So they've got their processes well honed. So you bring in, you know, a new person like myself who wants to do things a little bit differently and maybe take, you know, take some ownership of some post-sales processes that typically run a little different way. And there's some, you know, angst or agita around, you know, making that change. Uh, at least for me, I think the second part is concern over required expertise. So. In our world, for example, a VR engagement, VR for value realization, I'll probably say that a lot here, so I apologize, but can be pretty straightforward or it could be extremely challenging. So, for example, you know, on the easier side, we sell an intelligent revenue forecasting solution. Tom, I think you're probably familiar with that space. Mm -hmm. Probably as well, too, right? So 
uh, in that situation, a lot of folks are looking for uh, some of the key KPIs might be things like improved forecast accuracy, better pipeline coverage, improved win rates, shorter, you know, sales cycle times, less discounting. And in our application, every one of those metrics that I just mentioned, it's on a dashboard and it's tracked month over month, year over year, quarter over quarter, right? And so ourselves and even our customers can actually get to the realized value without much effort. Uh, on the flip side, though, uh, when I when I think about the incentive compensation management solutions that we have, in some cases, it actually uh, could require someone with more of a like a data science background, like yourself, April, to actually come to the quantified causal impact of what these solutions had on, let's say, you know, revenue lift or you know, P and L performance. Mm-hmm. So again, that for many folks is daunting enough to say, you know, what I don't think. Our organization has the requisite skills to be able to pull off VR, right? mm-hmm. and, and that's an understandable objection. I think the third point would be, I think, Tom, we were talking about this earlier, but just everyone in general seems to be being asked to do more with less. And so when I think about value realization, again, a lot of times folks like myself would look to like a success organization to scale that potentially. But those success resources also, in many cases, have, have taken a hit, right, from a investment perspective. And they were being asked to do more and drive CSAT and NPS and a bunch of in CX in general, right? And so to add the burden of value realization engagement to their portfolio also seems, you know, quite daunting. Yeah. So Michael, when we're dealing with customer success in particular, who are the ones that are often having these renewal conversations, we want to arm them with the capability to be able to help us with value realization or do the value realization. What are some of the things that you worked to put in place with those resources so that they can do this? So did you catalog like for this solution, here are the KPIs that you should be uh, measuring kind of before and after? Did you put in place kind of a new QBR or instead of a quarterly business review, maybe a quarterly value review presentation or framework? Yeah, great question. I think maybe just to even take a step back from that, what I've found the most success with in my deployment of VR with our large organization is trying to meet folks in the middle where they're at. So, for example, with our success group, um, they, like a lot of organizations, leverage a solution off the shelf. In our case, it's Gainsight. And so I built out, you know, with the help of some uh, resources, extension of Gainsight to leverage the success plans that our success managers are already using, but to have value realization capabilities within that. Uh, I'd say additionally, I've taken a layered approach to deploying and implementing value realization processes and the supporting tooling and content. So for example, in our world, uh, we look at value realization in three layers, kind of a qual rock run. And so you know, if I think about a success manager, some of those folks are more uh, relationship oriented, some are more analytical oriented, right? And so the, for the folks that maybe, you know, the financial aspect of VR is a little daunting, they can start using this framework that I've created called the SOAR framework. I think somewhat similar, a lot of overlap with your growth framework, but they can start off using that framework and they don't necessarily have to have an MBA or a Wharton, you know, degree and a management consulting background to get started, right? So, uh, I think, you know, in this day and age, as I think we were talking about a little bit earlier, 
uh, VR, I think, has morphed a bit, or I think successful VR is a little less focused than on the, you know, the ROI metrics, you know, the whether it's NPV or IRR or, you know, the ROI percent itself, and, and more about the, you know, the storytelling, storytelling, the outcomes uh, to drive just focus, uh, alignment, uh, you know, and advocacy for both, you know, the internal champions and the buyers who want to promote the successes that they had, as well as for the vendor who wants to tout these things at time of renewal. Yeah, Michael, one of the things that we found is that the companies that did implement more of a, a pre-sale model for post-sales value realization, where they were getting to the ROI, the IRR, the NPV, and the, the really wanting to see that distinct before-after full business case, most of those organizations backed off of that, and they've gone to more of this storytelling simpler approach like what you're advocating. Interesting. Why, why do you think that's the case? Customers seem not to ultimately need that level of detail and scrutiny post-sale. I would agree. I think, yeah, I mean, one of the things that I've observed, and again, if you've, you're a practitioner as well, I know both of you are, you know, it's oftentimes the folks that are reviewing the business case pre-sales, it's a completely different group of folks that are folks that are engaged in you know value realization conversations and care. A lot of times, even the the economic sponsor on the post sales side may be an executive from a completely different line of business, mm -hmm. right? And so, again, to them, how you justify the solution that that's uh, I want to say spilled milk onto the bridge, right? But that that's past is past, right? And so we're more focused about hey, let's make sure that we're getting the value that we need out of this investment that we've already made, right? And so it becomes a little more again, focused on typically driving the business outcomes that are, are sought by those, those leaders and, and stakeholders. And again, less about a specific ROI percent number or some hurdle rate that had to be accomplished to make the decision of an investment trade-off amongst you know, 10 or more different investment uh, opportunities. So you were saying earlier that some products were a lot easier for you to get automatic uh, ROI metrics and results and other products were more challenging. So how did you work to implement automation across these different product lines? Yeah, good question. Yeah. So actually my function has moved since I've been here at the company, which I think is part of the story. So, you know, initially I was brought in under the sales arm and that's pretty, I think, classic for a lot of uh, value orgs that get started off. I've since transitioned, this was probably a couple of years ago, into the products org, and I'm now in the product strategy function. So it's it's less about me exclusively focused now on supporting sellers and their deals and pre-sales. And now it's more about thinking about value more holistically across the customer lifecycle, almost like you know, a chief value officer would. And so, you know, I spent a lot of time working very closely with product management, with post-sales, success, marketing. And it's it's a much uh, I'm used more broadly across the org than by just you know a subset of the go to market resources. Right? One of That's the things interesting that you to mentioned be in product strategy because we haven't heard that quite as often. So you know, how did you ex what was the experience you had moving from sales into product, and why do you think product specifically allows you to have that broad uh, view of the organization? Yeah, I think when you when you sit in the sales organization, you are kind of beholden to supporting, you know, the CRO and downward. And so you spend, at least in my experience, 90 plus percent of your time supporting value assessments and sales reps, right? When you can move mm -hmm. outside of the sales org, again, I still certainly support the sales org and it's still probably at the top of my priority list. 
but now I've got, you know, product marketing, product strategists, product managers, again, customer success, even support other folks that are, again, a lot of these folks are, you know, post sales in some cases, or, or the product factory itself, who uh, want to invoke and leverage, you know, value content, value stories, value realization metrics into their decision-making framework, right, into their content. Uh, and certainly when it comes, you think about the product life cycle, I mean, why do we, we build products, right? We build products to, you know, deliver value for our customers, right? And so, you know, I spent a lot of time actually just this past year alone uh, in kind of guiding and working with our pricing and packaging folks to make sure that we're taking where appropriate a value-based approach to our, our pricing models, which again, is probably something you wouldn't do if you were solely focused in on supporting, you know, new deals for, for sellers. Yeah, completely agree. And this concept of a chief value officer is one that we're making that a time has come for that, for that comprehensive, everything from marketing to sales to um, consulting to customer success, ultimately to product and pricing and managing across that life cycle and orchestrating all of that is definitely this kind of chief role. You mentioned, Michael, the SOAR model that you've got for storytelling framework and how it's similar to what we thought needed to be put out there, which is, look, when you're running these quarterly business reviews or quarterly value reviews, you really need to tell a story. GROW for us stands for goals, reiterating what are the goals of the project? Have they changed? Which ones have been implemented? Which ones haven't? How's the rollout going? Yeah. Which has been the traditional role of customer success communications in the QVRs. What are the outcomes, the quantifiable, tangible outcomes, key performance indicator impacts, and quantifying some of those into dollars? And then importantly, like the subjective wins, the qualitative feedback of, I can't live without this. My job has changed. My ability to service customers has amplified. <clears throat> what, how is, you know, what does SOAR stand for acronym wise? S-O-A-R, I think it is. And, yep. and how does it align? Yeah, no, very well aligned. I think everything you mentioned is, is part of my SOAR framework. I, I think the main difference or tweak that, you know, I started with was probably the S in SOAR. So again, real quick, SOAR is S for situation, O for objectives, A for what actions did you take, and then R for what results. So mm -hmm. very similar to the GROW model, right? Almost one for one. Uh, for me, I think well, the, the one, I think, sizable potential difference would be just my extra focus upfront on the situation. So I think, like I mentioned earlier, what I find is when we, even if I was involved in the pre-sales value assessment efforts, when we get into the post-sales value realization conversation, a lot of times the players have changed. And so it's Absolutely. worth me taking the time to revalidate the, what was the prior current state? What was going on? What were the challenges you had then? What was the, you know, the cost of the current state in the absence of the solution like ours, right? And making sure that all the, the new people that might be involved now have that fundamental understanding of where they're coming from. I think the other benefit that that has for us is when it comes time to tell the story afterwards, right? So the SOAR, I think, would be a little more aligned to the, as you know, Tom, right, the dramatic storytelling arc, or, or you know, when, which Absolutely. is, you know, overlap with challenger sale. And, you know, it's not starting with the, the value or the benefits or desired outcomes, but we're starting with the client's world first. With the pain, yeah. Right, what, the pain what you got. got them to move and motivated them, absolutely. Exactly, yeah. yeah. So again, 
very similar as a, I think, you know, you would, you would probably agree. Yeah. The G definitely gets into the, what is the pain that you were looking okay. to solve and the impact of it totally. So couldn't agree with you more. You've got to start with that and almost repoke at the pain, um, especially because they might not have them all solved yet and might not have implemented all of the use cases that you want them to implement, or you may wind up identifying a couple more that they've realized. Absolutely. So yeah, just like, you know, when I start off a meeting on the sales side, I'm going to start off with, here's my understanding. And before I go any further, hey, tell me, do I have that right? What am I missing? What's changed since last time we spoke? So like you said, having this conversation also opens, opens up some opportunities to identify some additional value opportunities that might lead to another type of, uh, you know, life cycle engagement. Preach. <laughs> um, so what are some of the outcomes that you've experienced by implementing value realization in exactly? Yeah. Um, I guess I'll start with uh, maybe what I've seen over the last, let's say quarter or so with this new grow model. So just it's the first and foremost, it's given me the ability to, better scale, you know, the process and the function, right? So I've seen a, a lift in the, for example, the KPI post-sales metrics and benchmarks that we have populated in our value realization repository. So that growth over the last quarter. Uh, definitely have seen an, uh, an uptake in uh, volume and speed with which we publish with collaboration with marketing you know, what people refer to as case studies or success stories. <laughs> and it's, for me, it's even less about, you know, the volume of those, but it's more about that the actual content when these stories has more quantified KPIs, metrics, financial impacts. So they're much more impactful for the sales and marketing engine. The other, I think the other big piece here is just the, and it, go, it goes to scale, but it's the, the time and effort with which we can enable now new practitioners in the field. So what used to take weeks or even months to get someone to be able to do a value realization engagement, we now, I now think about that in literally hours or days, depending upon, again, the, the, you know, the, the challenges that you know, come with what's involved in that engagement. But to go from days, hours, you know, from, from weeks and months, it's, a, you know, it, it's, it's been huge in being able to do more with less as again, we're all trying to do. Absolutely. What's the one piece of advice, Michael, that you'd like to leave our enterprise value collective with today? Yeah. You know, it's, it's funny, Tom, I think we spoke in the past and I, I feel like just my top of the cuff answer is the same one I had before and it's get started right away. Right. So mm -hmm. if you're not thinking about that realization, again, some of my counterparts, they almost you know, focus almost exclusively on, the pre-sales value assessment side. And I would say if you're not doing VR and you don't have the edict from, you know, leadership, doesn't mean that it's not coming, right? Because at least I've seen it. And again, as we mentioned earlier on this call about just the focus on renewals and expansion, cross-selling, you've got to have the VR metrics if you're going to be able to support, you know, those types of calls to action for your, for your existing customers. Um, and then I would say in, in tied with this, you need to think a little bit outside the box, be more creative, right? So again, the tr traditional mindset is I bring in someone with a, a big six background or maybe they've, you know, they ran VR at SAP or Oracle and they, they think they're going to come in and, and bring on 10 of their, you know, their folks that they had from their prior team. It's just not going to happen. Right. So yeah. how can you do more with less? And I think the great news here is there's still a lot of go to market resources out there that are 
you know, uh, in seed already. And so I think it's, it's less about owning the resources, more about like enabling resources that maybe you don't own, but you can definitely uh, direct and help elevate and elevate them in their careers, which is, you know, goodness for, for both the individual and, you know, and the organization. Yeah, Michael, totally with you. I think being able to shape the story and put together a storytelling framework, being able to identify to the pain points and the goals the customer had, what are the KPIs and getting started with those two could be great. And you don't have to solve it all at once, right? Just get started with it. And I think if it's not in your charter today, it really should be as a value leader. And you should be maybe grabbing that initiative and getting it to be a part of your charter because the renewals, the upsell and cross-sell, the, the ability to retain and expand, it's probably more important to the business over this next year than it is to actually close new customers. And it's at least an and, if not a, a plus. So That's right. Completely yeah. agree with you. Yeah. Thank you so much, Michael, for joining us and sharing your experience with the Value Coffee Talk podcast audience. We really appreciate you. My pleasure, April. Thanks for having me. Yeah, please sign up for the Enterprise Value Collective if you haven't done so yet. You can do that on LinkedIn or on our GeniusDrive.com website. Let you stay in touch on the latest events, tools, insights. And uh, if you haven't yet, hit the like button. Uh, if you liked what you heard from Michael, Subscribe so you can stay up to date on the latest episodes. And until next time, our Enterprise Value Collective, keep sharing and growing together.